What role does discernment play in our relationship with God? Does God sovereignly allow for our personal level of discernment to play a role in whether or not we recognize his voice throughout our life? And if God does allow this sovereignly, how do we practically train our discernment to better recognize God's voice and his hand in our life? That's what we're going to talk about today in this message. Let's jump into the Word of God to explore the idea of developing godly discernment. Today is episode number five uh, in this series called Hearing God, and we've talked about uh, discerning God's voice, recognizing God's voice, um, how God speaks in the world today, how He's spoken throughout human history, what does the Bible say about how we should expect God to interact with us and engage with us in our world. And so we're here in episode five, all about discernment. And I think discernment is a huge topic that needs to be unpacked clearly. And even like in the last few minutes of my studies this morning, um, I was just thinking about discernment and the way we understand discernment. And I think there are a few things that God clarified to me in the last like few minutes of my study uh, that I think are going to really profit our discussion this morning. So if you want to be someone, um, or if you, yeah, if you want to be someone with, um, excellent discernment, and you want to be someone who uh, recognizes God's voice in your life today, especially, you're going to want to tune in. Um, We've already established throughout the different episodes in the series that there's almost a a process to this whole learning how to recognize God's voice and such and, and hearing God. First, we know God's voice. Then we hear his voice. Then we recognize his voice, or there's that initial recognition. Then we discern that it's absolutely God. Then we're receptive and open, humble, you know, to what God wants to say to us. And then we listen, Shema, we intend to obey um, what it is that God tells us to do because God never speaks without purpose. So there's always purpose behind what God says and what God is leading us to do. Often when we talk about recognizing God's voice, um, I will say this. When we talk about this whole concept of like, I want to learn how to recognize his voice. I want to learn how to, how, to, how to know when he's speaking and how do I know it's not just me and my own brain and my own voice is in my head because I'm crazy. Well, when we speak of recognizing and discerning God's voice, What we typically mean, what most people really mean, is I want to know God's will for a specific decision I'm making. It becomes more about direction and guidance more than it is about relationship. I'm going to say that again for those of you that didn't catch it the first time. When we think about discerning and recognizing God's voice, we reduce that concept down to direction and guidance And we remove the aspect of relationship and friendship with God and partnership with him in this world. And we disconnect the guidance and direction from the beautiful relationship we have with him. And I just want to say this morning that when God speaks, it is always to encourage and foster relationship. It is always to improve your friendship with him and and the way that you engage with him. and, And to the degree that you know him, you're going to know him better. So when God speaks, though we are seeking direction at times, going, God, do you want me to move to Oklahoma? Father, do you want me to sell this house in faith? Father, are you calling me to be a missionary? God, do you want me to step into this role at my church? God, do you want me to get into it? We reduce God speaking down to nothing more than a compass for our life. And we go, just tell me what to do here. I'm not going forward until you tell me left or right. And I just would like to dispel that myth a little bit and say, you know what? Maybe listening to God and hearing his voice is not primarily about having a yes or no answer to certain decisions we make. Maybe, in fact, God's voice in your life is more about relationship. And I'm not saying there's no direction or guidance that will come from that. But maybe God has given us his word as the primary way through which our discernment is trained to know 
proper decisions and what we're supposed to do in any given situation. Maybe God wants us to be people who are mature enough to make decisions not without him, but we have such a... Uh, uh, a high level of understanding and knowledge of God's word that we don't need to open up a manual and go in this situation. We have a, a um, I guess, a, a good enough base level knowledge of God's word to know in this situation, I probably shouldn't yell at my wife. I know the fruits of the spirit, self-control and not anger. Or in this situation, I know that money is not always the driving force for my decision. So I know that Jesus says to guard your heart and, and to not become lovers of money and you can't worship God in money. So I'm going to let that reinforce my decision in this moment when I'm offered a job opportunity that is 10 times more than I've ever made. And instead of jumping on the opportunity and saying, it's God, I'm going to discern through what the word of God says and and let that be a factor in how I weigh this decision. And then you can begin to be like Jonathan in the Old Testament who goes, you know what? Uh, Philistines are at war with us. My dad's a a chump, man. He's doing nothing. So I really want to get to work. He sees a Philistine stronghold. He He goes, you know what? I'm not sure if God's with me. His armor bearer goes, well, I'm with you. And he goes, well, that's all I need. Let's figure out if God's with us. Jonathan takes initiative. He takes steps forward. I'm going to close the chat because I love you guys and I I can't be distracted. And Jonathan, the son of King Saul, ends up moving forward in faith, takes initiative and lets God, you know, show him whether or not he's with him in this. He goes, I'm going to move forward. If the Philistines say A, then God's not with us. If they say B, then God is uh, what I say the first time. God is with us. Then if they say B, God is not with us. So there's a lot of discernment um, that we can grow up in. The Greek word that we're going to look at in Romans chapter 12, particularly, I thought this was a fascinating study just in the last, I probably got more out of my study in the last five minutes than everything else I spent time in. But when we think, think about, um, you know, the whole decision-making process, and I want to be a discerning individual, I'm going to, maybe you and I, and I'll get to the Greek word in a second, I know I opened that can of worms, I'm going to shut it for a second. I, when you and I think of guidance and direction in our life, we often just boil down God speaking to a yes or no answer. And maybe it's actually a little more complex than that. Not complicated, but maybe there's a lot more to it. And there's, a, there's quite a few moving parts to the whole making decisions and discerning his will in our life than just getting a yes or no answer from God. Maybe it does involve our discernment levels and how much we've you know, come to know God in his ways and how familiar we are with his heart. And, and maybe that's a role in whether or not we'll make the right decision. And it's not always a yes or no, black or white situation. Maybe often some things are, are, are gray areas and there's some neutral opportunities and, and God's letting you use your discernment and exercise wisdom. And he's saying either option is fine. Will you move forward? And do you have the maturity level to understand that I'm giving you uh, the option in this situation to pick whichever one. You know, so when we think about discernment, the Greek word translated discernment, or rather translated discern is transliterated, dokimazo. I'm going to butcher that. I did already. Greek scholars, come for me in the emails. I'm ready for you. Okay, dokimazo. Dokimazo means discern, and uh, it often gets translated into discern, but it also um, the, the core of the idea and the definition there means to put to the test, to prove something, to examine thoroughly, and to approve after that testing or after that examination, to distinguish by testing. That, that's the core idea of discerning something, is you're putting that to the test, which assumes there's a standard by which I measure that and determine whether that's something I can approve of or not. What you're going to see is in the Greek, the word discernment translated can actually be translated into the senses. 
Um, so in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, the Greek word that's translated discernment actually refers to the physical senses of a person. It's almost like we're internalizing and receiving data through the physical senses that gets translated spiritually by the Spirit of God, and we interpret that through our own reasoning faculties. And I think discernment is a lot, lar- that this conversation on discernment is um, going to touch on um, the whole concept of is your, are your reasoning faculties super corrupted and perverted by sin or have they become transformed and, and renewed by the word of God? Um, and so the Greek word discernment in the Greek can refer to the faculty um, of perception, the organ of perception. In other words, the means by which we perceive something and reason through it and the conclusions, almost like that that process that we use to come to certain conclusions and how we evaluate things. That Think of that as discernment. Um, The Greek word translated understanding, and I'm going to the Greek because we're going to look at New Testament, then we'll go Old Testament. Um, The Greek word translated understanding means to consider or to perceive something. So it's an action on the part of the individual. We often think of understanding as like something I either have or I don't, but to actually seek for understanding or to come to an understanding in between that is this decision, will I consider something like the Bereans in Acts? Will I, will I seek to understand it? Will I put effort into it? Will I study and research and, and, and see if these things are so? And then on the other side of that process is called a new level of understanding. But to put no effort into it is to come into a situation with almost no understanding, and then more than likely you'll make the wrong decision. So in other words, when we talk about understanding and discerning and discernment, we're going to see that there's there's different um, dimensions of these words. They overlap, but they can be distinct from one another as well. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I know for some of you that you're like, this means nothing for me. It will, I promise. Romans chapter 12. uh, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So the basis of his appeal is the mercy of God. The direction of his appeal is the mercy of God. The motivation for them doing what Paul is asking them to do is the mercies of God. What's he asking them to do? Well, he says, uh, I appeal to you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, this is your spiritual worship. Okay, and usually people stop there and they call people to holiness and sanctification, and I love that. But look at verse 2. It tells you how. How am I supposed to offer my body as a living sacrifice? How am I supposed to offer up my life daily to the direction and the will of God when I often can't even discern what he wants for me? And I don't know if I'm supposed to move forward or stay still. And I don't know if I'm supposed to put some effort into it or just watch God go to work. I don't know if this is a yes or no situation. How am I supposed to offer my body and my life as a living sacrifice when I'm reasoning through life with incomplete data? Well, verse 2 tells you, do not be conformed to this world. Easier said than done, pal. Well, hold on. The contrasted idea with that is instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, this is what Jesus says in John 17. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So the way that our mind is transformed and renewed and purified and, and healed and uncorrupted is by the word of God, the truth of God wielded by the Spirit of God. That requires us to put some effort into knowing the Word of God, doesn't it? And so if that's the way that God renews your mind and almost uh, purifies your reasoning faculties, for some reason I, I think of 
when I said faculty, I thought of a giant factory. Go with me. Let's see where this goes. But I think of my mind and the way that I process and reason through the world outside of Jesus, before Jesus, those reasoning faculties and processing methods are corrupted and perverted by sin. It's like a it's like a factory that's been overgrown and abandoned and there's just, you know, plants that have overtaken it and nothing but dust and animals have taken up residency and it's just a, it's just a mess. It's it's a mess. You can't use the facility or the factory. But then God comes in and he cleans house. And slowly he starts to remove the vines and, and, and remove the animals that have built nests and taken up residency in that factory. He starts to take down, you know, overgrown brush and, and he starts to clean that thing and remove the dust and he goes to work so that now that, that factory is, is usable. But at, in, it, there's, a, there's a pace God has determined to, to purify and cleanse and wash that place. And this is what God does in the Old Testament. When he tells Israel, I'm not going to clean house the promised land quite yet. I'm not going to remove all the enemies from the land because if I do, that won't be beneficial. Animals will just come in and it'll be chaos for you guys. So what God does is he paces out the cleaning. In other words, he there's a process God has determined uh, by which he's going to cleanse the enemies of Israel from the promised land and remove them from the promised land. It's one at a time. It's little by little. And that's the incremental cleansing and sanctification that happens to our mind. So that with each bit of progress I make and with each little bit of scripture that washes my mind, you have more usable space for the Spirit of God to help you know, guide and, and move us and direct us. But it's almost like this is just what happens in, I am all over the place. <laughs> this is where I am today. The way the kingdom of God advances in the world incrementally, you know, piece by piece, sphere by sphere, you know, you know, person by person, community by community, God is incrementally and slowly but surely expanding and advancing his kingdom. Okay. And I think that is a picture of how sanctification looks internally. The way God takes you know, the territory of our mind and cleans house is it's, it's space by space. And as your mind is renewed, that part of your mind is now uncorrupted and unper- you might say unperverted and uninfluenced. I'm making up a bunch of words by sin because of the fact that the spirit of God has washed and cleansed that aspect of your reasoning faculty. So now that is, um, not something I can always go, I'm never going to make a wrong decision. But with each bit of sanctification and cleansing, I become more capable of reasoning through the world the way God wants me to and discerning situations the way God wants me to. And I know this is a main conversation on how to hear the voice of God, but I know some of you are just going, tell me yes or no. Well, your ability to even discern the yes or no and your ability to know if God is indeed leaving it up to you or giving you any opportunity to move forward in the situation, you discerning that depends on how much has your mind been been renewed by the word of God. Because apparently that's what transforms our lives is your mind has to be renewed and washed and cleansed. And there is the one-time washing and cleansing that happens at faith. Absolutely. But look at the why. Why would I need my mind renewed? cleansed, washed, so that by testing, I'm going to highlight that, testing, you may discern what is the will of God. You know, scientists, let's just take inventors. My son wants to be an inventor when he grows up. He also wants to be Spider-Man. He could be both. Uh, He could be the very first real-life Spider-Man. But 
the idea of testing in a lab and inventors going to work and seeing what works. And then there's, there's, there's the mock, then they, they, they're the prototype and then they start, you know, tampering with certain things and then they have, you know, um, what is it called? Uh, the next evolution in that product or then, and then with each bit of tampering, um, I know I'm, this is a morning full of analogies. That's just where my head is. And with each bit of tampering, that product becomes more and more complete because they've tested, they've evaluated, they've ran the numbers, they've, they've, they've gotten the lab results and gone, well, I don't know if this will actually function the way I was hoping. So let's scrap that aspect of it. They've tested. And that's exactly what God is calling us to do as believers is to test what's in front of you. Test the decision that's in front of you. Test the opportunity. Test the person that's telling you they have a word from God. Test the Instagram message you're receiving, okay? To, to test uh, to test the, the content you're internalizing and receiving and digesting. Test it. And your ability to test correctly and weigh things properly depends on the degree to which your mind has been renewed. So there's almost a, there's a, there's a clear outlined process here. Your mind is renewed by God, step one. Step two, you begin to reason through life and test things properly with a proper understanding of God and his hand in the world and your relationship to him. The knowledge of the scriptures informs how well I can test uh, a situation, opportunity, a person, what they're saying. And then by doing so, I can discern the will of God. So I'm testing. I'm going, what, what aspect of God do I see here? What characteristic of God do I see at play? How much do I see the word of God um, validating what it is that I'm experiencing and, and the yes or no situation that's in front of me? Does the word of God encourage a yes, I should do it, or a no, don't do it? And you test and you test. And then through prayer and fasting and having a renewed mind and reasoning through life properly, you can come to a conclusion that is that you're confident about and going, I'm very confident that God is A, B, and C, leading me to do this, not to do this, saying yes, saying no, He's it's, a, it's good either way, and you discern this is what I'm confident is the will of God. And I'm not saying that God wants you to be able to do these things apart from Him. I'm saying God wants you to hold His hand the whole time. Because what we do is we go, well, I'm mature enough, I'm discerning enough, and we, in the name of maturity, we start to discern through situations without the aid of God. And we're going, well, I know the scriptures well enough, I don't need to ask God. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure our Genesis informs my understanding of the world, and here in this situation, it's just like Jacob when he was wrestling with God, but you haven't asked God? The whole point of having discernment, I think the more discerning a person is, um, the more they will rely on God. Does that make sense? You can tell how discerning and how understanding a person is by how much they lean on God for help. And I'm not saying like, because my kids sometimes, they they play the helpless invalid card. Or the, ah, mom, can you, ah, my, I have an owie on my toe. I can't do anything. Can you, can you bring dinner here? It's like, no. I know you're just trying to, pre you're pretending to be hurt, so I do everything for you, and you're pretending, or my son, I haven't learned how to do that, Dad. Well, you're about to learn. That's sometimes how I see God relating to us in real life. 
where we're like, oh, I'm just trusting God. No, you're actually playing the helpless invalid card. There's a difference between that and leaning on God for help. Admit that you can do nothing without God. But that doesn't mean, well, it's all on him and I'll do nothing and sit back on my couch and watch him go to work. I think there are moments where he says, sit down, shut up, watch me go to work lovingly. There are times, though, most often, <laughs> where I see in Scripture and in, and in my life, where partnering with God is not me going, oh, I'm so helpless, God, do everything for me. I, I trust you, right? God's going, that. no, that sounds like the parable of the talents, where the guy goes, I, I had one talent, I was afraid you would come and, and you would, you know, and the, the master goes, hmm, so you did nothing with what I gave you out of fear. But you're framing it up like it was some kind of heroic deed. This is a terrible way to live life. Making, what's it called? Not helplessness, laziness. Turning laziness and complacency into a heroic deed because I'm humble and relying on God and trusting Him. When God tells you to move, you move. When God tells you to not move, you don't move. But in either situation, you are holding on to him, leaning on him for help, whether it's help to do or whether it's help to stay or whether it's help to think through. So the whole idea of discerning the will of God is I want to figure out what is good, acceptable, and perfect. My reasoning faculties without Christ are perverted by sin. Even as a new creation, as, as children of God, some of you assume that now that I'm a child of God, I have the spirit, I have a new heart, that means Everything I conclude about anything in life is always correct. False. False. Otherwise, what's the point of sanctification? The whole, the scripture here is telling you that our minds need to be progressively renewed so that I can begin to properly test and then weigh and come to a conclusion that I think this is the will of God. I've discerned that. And then I can offer my body as a living sacrifice as a result. Okay, but it does start in the mind. Discernment is a huge part of this conversation, huge part. But some people, they're li- I, um, I lovingly tell you this, you might be this person. We're just spiritually lazy and we call it faith. For reals. We're spiritually, we don't want to exercise our discernment. We don't want to train. We want God to do all the decision making for me. God is now Siri. Siri? Order Domino's pizza and have it dropped off at my secret location so my wife doesn't get mad at me. And we, we make God, or Siri, what happened in 1864 that shook the world? I don't want to put the effort into researching and study. Just give me the answer. That's what we want for God. Instead of relationship, we're like, just give me the answer. Gah, I'm pressing the button, God. I don't want to discern. I don't want to reason. I don't want to exercise understanding and, and put effort into developing more of a, an appropriate reasoning. Fa- I don't want that. I just want you to tell me, yes or no. Do I do it? Are you going to bring it? Am I waiting for nothing? Tell me. Mm. So, I think the biblical idea of discernment is that God wants to make his children more capable and equipped to make the right decisions in any given situation, not without him, not without leaning on him, 
but without treating him like a yes or no vending machine. Is it a yes or no? He's going, think about it. I don't want to think about it. Is it a yes or no? Reason through this. What does my word say? God, is it black or white here? What am I doing? Move forward. She loves you. She's a Christian, I think. I mean, we've been together for a week. Can I marry her or what? Yes or no? He's going, exercise wisdom. Train your discernment. Think through this properly. Nope. Just tell me. It's a terrible way to live life. You know why? Because it's void of relationship. It's void of loving and enjoying and partnering with God. And some of you just want that. You just want God to be a cosmic yes or no. That's it. That's all he is. You care about his will. You care about his heart. You care about the best experience possible for you. But you don't want to put any effort into exercising your reasoning and understanding and renewing your mind and testing and discerning. You don't want that. And I'm telling you, not every situation is a black or white yes or no scenario. Those aren't the only two options always. We could end there. We could call it a day. We could. But that's the first verse in a line of 5, 8, 11, 14, 7, in a line of a lot of verses. Ephesians 5, 17. Remember, the word for understand here means actually to consider, to perceive. And some of us think, well, God's going to either give me understanding or not. I'm either going to understand in the situation or not. What if your ability to understand and conclude the right things is directly related to how much effort you've put into training your discernment? And this is not to put all the effort or the, 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 the credit and emphasis on you. It's to say God wants to partner with people. Mature, this is my child coming back into play. He's a good analogy. My son is learning to not look to me for every step of the process when I say, hey, buddy, let's clean our room. Hey, buddy, let's clean our dishes. He's no, when we first started, when he learned, it was, dad, do I, do I press the soap twice? You can, as much as you think you need, buddy. Okay, dad, do I turn on the water this much or this much? Whatever you're comfortable with, bud. Okay, do I put the dish here? And if the water splat, that when you first try something, or when you first walk with God, you might have that tendency. And I think that's a humble posture to take where you go, you're looking over your shoulder for every single micro step of the process. And I think that just shows that you really do trust God, but God wants to get you to a place where you still trust him, where you still rely on him, where you're still humbly receiving his correction and direction, but you no longer look over your shoulder every micro step of the way. You can, where my son now knows how to turn on the water, he knows how much soap, he knows how to wash, but then he goes, Dad, is this clean? Yeah, you know what, I think that's clean enough, toss in the dishwasher, right? And so you start to not look to God less necessarily, but you start to need, uh, I guess, God's approval of every micro step less and less because you have discernment, and God has gifted you and trained you and helped you. That's, I think one of the biggest points people miss in Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve reach out for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit, they eat the forbidden fruit, the, what I believe. Okay. And I think others, there, there are, there are actual scholars that hold this view. Okay. There are other views, 100%, but one view that I hold to 
is that I believe if the knowledge of good and evil, a proper knowledge of good and evil, if that was necessary for Adam and Eve to cultivate, to rule, and to steward, and to, to multiply, and to be image bearers of God, if that was necessary, God would have at some point given them what they needed, pasted out, maybe given it at certain times, maybe maybe all at once. All I know is if a proper knowledge of good and evil was necessary to rule and steward and image and cultivate, then God would have given them that. The problem is they wanted to reason through life and define good and evil without God in the equation. And then we go to the other extreme as believers and we're like, I don't want that. I don't want to do that. So in every, I can't make a single decision until I get a yes or no audibly from heaven with 16 angels in front of me going, he is with you. I can't make a decision until I have that. And some of you are there. You treat God like this, again, cosmic vending machine where it's a yes or no answer. I'm inputting the right data. Just tell me, tell me, tell me. I'm not doing anything until you tell me. Tell me how to think. Tell me how to reason. And I do believe the word of God should inform how we see life, how we reason, how we think. But when it's this unhealthy, Ephesians 5, 17 says, don't be foolish. And you go easier said than done, bro. He explains what he means. So it's not that complicated. He says, understand what the will of the Lord is. What does that mean? That means you can understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, contextually, he's going to give one example. He's going to talk about not getting drunk, but instead being filled with the spirit to submit yourself to one another out of reverence for Jesus. That is one example. Not the only way. That's not the only thing God wills for his church, but that is one of the things. So when we're talking about understand the will of the Lord, what we're saying is you can understand the will of the Lord. And apparently Paul is calling people lovingly by the authority of Christ, commanding people, understand the will of God and don't be foolish. What does that mean? Once again, it's on you to put effort into understanding the will of God. How? His word. It's very clear. Or you can be foolish and call it faith, call it humility, call it trust. Is it? Is it though? Or is it fear that you'll mess up so you need a yes or no because you don't want to put any effort into possibly making a mistake? What if... Actually, no. You guys are saying it's it's buffering? Bummer. It is what it is. Okay. John 10. You know, we already did John 10. I'm not going to go there. We've already done that. There's no need to bring it up. Hebrews 5.14. Hebrews 5.14. It says, solid food is for the mature. I'm going to highlight mature. Solid food is for the mature. Which means there are people who are not mature. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Practice. So here's my question. Is 
your discernment being trained. The heck does that mean? Are you constantly practicing putting to work your discernment? There are people who mindlessly go through life without any thought or care or reason, reasoning. And then there are people who are very thoughtful, reasonable. Um, they're not careless. They're, they're careful, not overly cautious, but you know what I mean? They're thinking through situations. They're very calculated. And again, there is an unhealthy extreme to this where it's like OCD, perfectionism. But the point is, are you practicing your discernment? Are you putting that to work? Because apparently that is one of the ways God intends to train your discernment. It's not just the word of God renewing your mind, but now go and employ that newfound discernment. Go go now and reason through life and this next situation I'm bringing you through. I, I want you to practice distinguishing good from evil. And I think that also might be... Um, you know, a call back to Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve are reaching out for the forbidden fruit to know good and evil on their own. But good and evil, those aren't things that I'm to define. Those are things I'm to discover and discern through and let God define for me. Okay. So again, discernment can be trained. Making decisions doesn't always require God to speak directly and personally to you to tell you what to do. I'm going to say that again. Some of you have walked with God in this way for too long, okay? No more, <laughs> no more. Lovingly, today it stops. Some of you approach your relationship with God where anytime you have any decision that you can make, you require that God speaks directly and personally to you to tell you exactly what to do. And I'm telling you, that is not how God always moves and leads us and helps us navigate life. So, we need to be people that still want to hear the voice of God, discern the voice of God, but I also want to know how to make the right decision if God is choosing to not say anything directly and personally to me. I need to know how to weigh these things and discern and fast and pray and do everything I know to do, and then know when to move forward. That is practice. That requires practice. That requires us to train our discernment. I don't know if it's still going through. You guys are still saying there's problems, but hopefully it's coming through. If not, I have it recorded. I'll re-upload it later. So at least this is for future you. Hebrews 4.12 talks about the idea of what the word of God does. Okay, let me, let me explain. It says the word of God is living oof, and active. I mean, it's going to work. It's doing stuff. There's purpose behind God speaking. And the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Whether you take this to mean... Uh, the word of God can sep is so sharp that it can separate what is inseparable. Or whether you take this to just mean God is exposing what is not known to a person through his word. I think either way the idea gets across. That the word of God is what is discerning for us our own thoughts, our own intentions that we don't see. Like James says, when you look in a mirror, 
Um, it's like reading, when you read the Bible, it's like looking into a mirror where you see the, the different flaws and areas you need to clean up and the, the things you got to get out of your nose and the teeth you got to brush and, and you see, I need to clean myself up before I go out and on a date tonight. That's like the word of God. The word of God is showing you what needs to be adjusted, what needs to be fixed, what needs to be changed. And I think the word of God in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the spoken word of God, the living word of God, both in us and in the book, regardless, the word of God is discerning for us our own thoughts and intentions that we might not see. Hey, real quick, I want to tell you something you might not know about. In the description of this video, you can find the links for all the free resources we have available. And yes, these are all free. Our online Bible study classes, our online church community on the Discord app, all of the sermon notes from our past messages, Bible study cheat sheets, Bible study workshop videos, both our podcasts, and more. Visit AboveReproachMinistry.com for all these free resources. And while you're there, grab some church merch or grab a copy of my book, Fruitful. This book outlines the essential keys for the most abundant, satisfying life in Jesus. It's perfect for new believers and those who want to take their faith to a new level. Again, all these links can be found in the description of the video below. So go check that out and let's get back to the video. And that's something you need to understand about discernment is we're not discerning with our own man-made standard. We're not discerning with our own man-made filter. No, God has given you a filter. He's given you a standard. He's given you a metric so I can measure my thoughts, my intentions, my... my um, my ideas, everything against the scriptures and go, hmm, does this match up? And if it matches up and it's still like, I don't know what to do here, God, I don't don't know what to do. Then the word of God will help you to discern your own thoughts and intentions properly. I think that assumes, I think that assumes, (laughs) brush my nose and blow my teeth. That's, I might've misspoken. Thanks, John. Um, what was I saying? The sharpness of God's word. Some I don't know. I, I guess I'll go here. That our hearts were given a new heart when we were born again and believe. But we still need to be renewed. We still need um, our own internal thoughts and ambitions and intentions to be discerned. We need to weigh those things. Uh, which means that not everything that flows from, or not everything I experience in my life is flowing from the truest version of who I am. I need to discern those things. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. And this goes back to discerning the voice of God in your life and hearing his guidance. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So you can either be wise in your own eyes and think, I don't need God to, d- to direct my life. I'm fine. I will not fear him. I will not turn away from evil. I'll decide what is good and evil by my own definitions. I'll lean on my own understanding, and I will not trust in God with any aspect of my heart. I won't acknowledge him in any of my ways. If you want to live like that, good luck. That's not how I want to live. Instead, I think discernment is, again... I trust you with the outcome of this decision. I trust you to guide me. I trust you to help me navigate this and do what is the right thing. And I will not lean on my own understanding, which means how I am thinking, what I am concluding, how I'm evaluating this situation in that immediate first impression you have about a situation. I can't trust that. I can't think that, Everything I believe about a person or situation is always correct. I need to whoop, 
take those assumptions, take that evaluation, take that judgment to God and go, hey, I need you to direct me in this. I need you to help me reason through this to make sense of the data that I'm receiving. And I'm going to acknowledge you. I'm not wise in my own eyes. I'm not. But I trust you to guide me and to help me be discerning here, to keep me from evil. Um, Back to Ephesians 5. Weirdly enough, there is a call to practice godly discernment. Ephesians 5 says, Don't become partakers, partners with those who are in darkness. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So, therefore, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good. It's good. My life is really good. What is good, what is right, and what is true. And try, I love that this is here in the text, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What does that mean? It means you and I put effort into discerning what is God's will in this situation. Instead of assuming, instead of assuming that God is just going to give me the right answer if I sit here long enough, I'm going to trust that he is, but I'm also going to seek to discern. I'm going to think through the data. I'm going to, I'm going to internalize all the data that's coming my way, process that information, think about it, reason through it, weigh the pros and cons, bring it before God and go, Hey, even though on paper this looks good and it looked good for my family to move here and we have a lot more money in the bank and we wouldn't be able to we wouldn't have to struggle and scrape by anymore that doesn't mean you want me to do this father so i am asking you to help me look at this the way you see it give me your perspective i'm trying to discern what is pleasing to you notice how it's not what try to discern what benefits you most that is how a lot of us live life The primary factor in your decision-making process is how much will I benefit? And I'm learning to live, and I hope you're learning to live, the kind of life Jesus modeled, where it's not, how does this benefit me most? How do I get the maximum amount of benefit for me? What is the best situation that makes me happy, me comfortable, me safe, me secure? What if you, it doesn't start with you? What if when it comes to making decisions, the starting place isn't how can I benefit me the most? What if that's a side thing? What if the main thing is, God, what pleases you the most? What will benefit others the most? How, what will serve and maximize their life the, the most? Help me do that. And I think by doing that, I'll end up benefiting the way God wants me to. And the kind of benefits he wants me to have will come my way. If you always make decisions based off, on paper, what will profit me the most, you're going to live a very hard life because I'm telling you, when God leads you a lot of the time, and yes, I mean a lot, it will look like when you do it, that's when you weigh it on paper and you go pros and cons, God's going to say, I know that's going to be benefit you the most from your perspective, I want you to do the opposite thing. Go the route where you get less money. Go to the church where there's not a lot of people and not a lot of recognition and not a lot of opportunity for you to grow and and make a name for you. Go there. I know you just got a bunch of money in and you inherited it. I want you to give it all away. I know you are praying for me to give you money for a house. I want you to give it all away to that organization that keeps popping up on your YouTube. And every time you click it, because you can't even bear the ads, it so wrenches your heart. I want you to give to them. 
I want you to go to the school where you'll actually, um, yeah, be making less than you would be at that other school. And again, this is not to say God always takes us on the high road. Sometimes God takes you through the easy road and you're like, whoa, this is on paper what I was going to do. And God goes, yeah. The whole point of trying to discern means you're putting effort. You're exercising that discernment muscle. You're training. You're practicing. Ephesians 4.17 tells us why it is that unbelievers cannot reason through the world the way God wants them to. Why unbelievers cannot see with God's perspective, from God's perspective. Paul says, This I say and I testify in the Lord. No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Their minds are futile, vain. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God due to their hardness of heart. So because they have no connection to God through their own rebellion and unbelief and rejection of the truth, they're not only alienated from God, but their whole understanding, their way they reason through the world is perverted and darkened. So they think they're coming to right conclusions, but it's off incomplete data. Or they think they're making the right decision, but it's actually the wrong one. Because they're reasoning through the world differently than God wants us to, which is through the truth. Now, when we look at the Hebrew, we're going to look at a few discerning individuals. Um, In the Hebrew, the word for discerning can actually be translated understanding. Like at times, they can be synonymous. And I'm learning Hebrew right now and how dense certain words can be in the And the semantic range of certain words is incredible. Um, But for now, we'll just look at discerning and understanding. So when when in Genesis 41, when Joseph says, hey, let Pharaoh choose a wise and discerning man. What he's saying is find someone um, that considers, that perceives, and that properly processes the data to make the right decisions. Choose someone like that. And Pharaoh goes, well, who... You're my guy. Joseph, you're the guy you're talking about. You're going to be second in command. Whoa, me? Yeah. Because Joseph interprets the dream of Pharaoh, but God doesn't necessarily, in the interpretation, tell Joseph what they should do about the famine. Joseph, now of course this is by the spirit of wisdom, I'm sure he's, he's processing through and reasoning through, but Joseph concludes, based off this dream, we should take action. And of course, it seems as though the narrative wants you to know that the, the spirit of wisdom is leading Joseph to come to that conclusion, but he is concluding and reasoning through these things. That's the point. God actually wants us to be reasonable people, that know how to make... This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. You guys don't know even how to settle disputes among yourselves. That is embarrassing. It is embarrassing. You're going to unbelievers to settle your lawsuits, to settle your issues. You can't settle that in the church. Don't you know we're supposed to judge angels? Rule angels? And, and, And I'm sure the Corinthians were like, Yeah, we feel pretty dumb. The idea is God wants you to be discerning because there's more responsibility in the kingdom. And I think part of us getting prepared for that, of course, will be perfect and redeemed and and glorified bodies in in the kingdom. And that's fantastic. But I think part of the way that'll happen is that God is actually putting us through training and practice now. Why do you think 
a lot of the rewards and treasures and responsibilities in the kingdom correlate to how much people were faithful with what they had because they show themselves capable and discerning like Joseph. First Kings 3, 9 through 12, you have King Solomon taking over for his daddy, feels like a kid and going, help. And God shows up and goes, I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon goes, give your servant an understanding mind. Understanding there, again, being a mind that considers and perceives and makes the right decisions that are honorable to God and good for others to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. There's that idea. Hebrews is telling you, you need to practice and train your discernment to distinguish between good and evil. Adam and Eve, they reached out for something without God, wanted to know good and evil. Solomon here, I'm just kid. Essentially, when it comes to being able to step into this role, it's like I'm just a kid. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do it like my daddy. Give me discernment, God. Because I can't govern. Who can govern this great people? You're a great people. I need you to give me an understanding mind to govern and discern. And the first moment we see this unpacked is when you got a couple of um, prostitutes coming before Solomon. And one woman goes, this woman stole my son. The other woman goes, no, this is my son. And then Solomon's going, cut him in half. Some discerning mind you have. No, listen, just wait, cut him in half. The other woman freaks out. Yeah, he goes, uh, the king said, um, bring me a sword. Let's cut him in half. Divide the child in two. The woman whose son was alive said to the king, no, just just give her the child. The other woman goes, yeah, let's divide him. How did Solomon know to do something like that? He had a discerning mind. Let me ask you this. Did God tell Solomon which one was the, the, the true mother of the son, the son, the true mother of the child? Did God say, Solomon, the one on the left, the one on the right is a cheapskate. Lock her up for uh, forever. No. God gives Solomon what? An understanding mind to reason through, to process, to think through, and he sees an opportunity and God gives him discernment to know what to do in that situation. Well, if I tell him to cut him in half, the real mom would never let that happen and she'd just give the son. The fake mom would love, wouldn't even care for the life of the child. She just wants something. She wants her own you know, legacy and name. So she'll be like, yeah, cut him in half. I think we see a picture here of the kind of mind and discernment God wants us to have so we can properly discern when he's speaking. Some would say, I I would be fine with saying, God didn't speak directly to Solomon here, but he did show Solomon the right thing to do. So in that sense, he did speak through the discernment and understanding mind Solomon had. You know, discernment goes on and on. You look at discerning individuals. You You have Mary in Luke 129 who receives a message from Gabriel. And she's trying to discern what sort of greeting this may be. Hmm. Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus walking with a couple boys. They don't see him they don't, or recognize him or perceive him. But then when he sits down to have a meal with them, he actually breaks the bread and they recognize him and their eyes are open. That's the idea of understanding or being discerning, is perception. All of us, and this is what I was thinking of earlier, 
the actual Hebrew word for uh, discerning and understanding, it actually involves the physical senses. I know we want to chalk everything up to nothing but something purely spiritual, but the way God interacts with us is in a material physical world and a material physical body, and he engages our immaterial mind and personhood. The way God does that is through the physical. Some of us want to completely disconnect the physical from the spiritual and say, uh, terrible. I would never do physical anything. First of all, it's weird because you eat and drink and sleep and your body has need, all that stuff. But the idea, that was uh, one of the heresies in the early church. And so people want to separate the physical and spiritual completely. And I think understanding and reasoning through life means admitting that the way God engages the spiritual is often through physical means. How does he bring spiritual salvation? Well, through inhabiting a physical body, the eternal word dies a physical death and raises to life, glorified. How does God uh, reveal his hand in the world? Well, a lot of the times through physical, visible means or audible means or experiential means. So the idea of discernment and understanding in the Hebrew a lot of the times involves the physical senses. In other words, the physical senses receive the data. And it's the heart or the mind of a person that processes and reasons through and makes conclusions about the information that has been received from the senses. Whether you're seeing something, whether you're hearing a sermon, whether you're experiencing a situation where it feels as though God's present, whether God answers a prayer and you see it happen in front of you, whatever it is that you're internalizing, okay, that data is interpreted through what is referred to as the understanding in the discernment of the individual. And it's on us to have such a sharpened level of understandingness, <laughs> understanding and, and discernment that we can make proper discern, uh, discerning decisions. Um, so, so, yeah. I'm trying to think of where we should go here today. Um, let me take you to one more passage. We'll close it down today. I just made this series just one more episode longer. First Kings chapter 19. Elijah is on the run from Jezebel. And uh, he comes to a cave. He's mad at God. He's bummed. He's discouraged. He wants to die. He lodges in that cave. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord. The God of hosts, the people of Israel forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword. These are reasonable things to be pissed off about. And I'm the only one left. They're seeking my life to take it away. And he said, I love that God doesn't address him right there in that moment. And we go, why? Just answer the guy. Give him encouragement. Comfort him. The word of the Lord actually says, go out. Stand on the mountain before the Lord. This must have been a part of the revealing, healing, comforting process. We just want to shortcut things. Give me, give me the shorthand version, God. Come on, vending machine. I'm pressing A1. Give me my Pepsi. Well, God actually has a process that is often longer than what you would choose. So he says, go out and behold, the Lord passed by a great and strong wind tore the mountains. When's the last time you saw mountains torn apart? by a strong wind and broken pieces the rocks before the Lord that's a straight up tornado and the Lord was not in the wind I want you to think about this the Lord 
I'm going to highlight this in yellow every time we see it. The Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake, the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake of fire, the Lord was not in the fire. Three tremendous displays of power. You might say natural disasters. But verse 13 or verse 12, after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And this is the only time it does not say the Lord was not in fill in the blank, which would imply. And I think Elijah's response also makes this clear that God is in the whisper, not in the fire, not in the earthquake, not in the wind. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak, which I don't know why he does that. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Okay. Now that's interesting. I don't think I ever caught this before. I often pictured Elijah going out and seeing this, but it seems as though he's processing this from inside the cave. He's seeing all this happen. In other words, he's not standing at the the entrance of the cave like the Lord said. The Lord says, go stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. It seems as though Elijah has not yet gone to the the entrance of the cave or on the mount um, because he's still in this cave and he's lodging in it. Wow, interesting. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak and stood at the entrance of the cave and there came a voice to him. And said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, the people of Israel, da-da-da-da. And the Lord said, here's what to do. God didn't speak to Elijah and give him clear direction until after Elijah had done what the Lord said. And after, what's interesting is, Elijah somehow was able, if you and I were were just, the word of the Lord comes to us the way it comes to Elijah, hypothetically, we're in the cave, and the word of the Lord says, go stand out there. And we see a tornado. We see an earthquake. We see a, f- you don't see an earthquake, but I guess you can see the, the results of it. You see a fire, and you go, God was not in any of that. But then you hear the sound of a low whisper, and you go, hmm, that's him. And then Elijah goes out, and God speaks to him. I wonder how many of us would have just assumed that God is definitely here in this tornado. I mean, he just told me to come out here. He said he's going to talk to me. He is here in the earthquake. This fire is from God. Now, people of Israel are used to these kinds of signs and wonders and the way God reveals his presence. But for us, we would have been very quick to assume, a lot of us, that this is the hand of God. And yet the text says God was not in that. There's no direction or revelation necessarily in that, but he is in the sound of a low whisper. There's direction and revelation and clarity in the small, still voice. And the voice brings direction. Then God tells him what to do. Now I wonder, what kind of level of discernment does it take to know that God is not in these huge wonders, but he is in this still, small voice in this moment? I mean, I I can't, I haven't been in a situation like that, so I can't say how I would respond or how I wouldn't, but I'm fairly convinced that I wouldn't recognize God in the low whisper. I would assume he's in the big, magnificent things. 
And this is part of what I mean when it comes to discerning God's hand in your life. Is we're so, we have an idea of how God will show up. We have an idea of what it looks like for God to move in my life. It's huge, it's magnificent, it's marvelous, and then we minimize these small moments of God working. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that's the application I draw from the text, but that's where my mind goes. I'm not saying this text, is of this story of Elijah is teaching us that, but my mind goes to the fact that some of us have decided when God moves in my life, the way I discern my hand is it's marvelously magnificent. It's huge. It impacts thousands. And I go, what if in the same way he encountered Elijah in a low whisper, there's a version of that that he wants to encounter you in in your life where it's just the small situations. The small things you and I are quick to discount. I don't know if that was God. It's just a homeless guy. God wasn't really in that. I just handed him some money. I don't know if God's here in this small church gathering where no one's raising their hands. <laughs> People are singing, but they don't seem to mean it. I don't know if God's really in this situation in between me, you know, uh, dealing, correcting my son. You know, I don't know if God's in this place. Well, what if God is just as much as he's in the big moments in those small moments, you and I are quick to discount and go, I'm waiting for God to give me clear direction. Clear direction. I mean, the sky opens, a UFO comes down. Instead of aliens, Jesus comes out. And he goes, I, I made a spaceship just to come down here and see you, my friend. God wants you to know, I want you to know, because I'm God, that you're supposed to marry that woman. Have a good one. Zoom, shoots off. That's the idea. Not as you know elaborate as that, but that's generally the idea we have of how God will speak to us. And I'm just saying there's a category in Scripture for discerning the will and the voice of God in the small things, not just the big things. So discernment, when you're sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, you encounter God in moments that are very ordinary and common. We're so used to encountering the presence of God and encountering the hand of God in these, these huge gatherings and conferences and worship services and elaborate, you know, m- moments where, again, the sky opens and lightning shoots down and I got struck, but I'm still standing here. And we're used to that. And we forget that actually the way God wants to encounter you is very often, very often in the small, mundane, ordinary, common moments of our life that you and I are quick to rush through to get to the more important, extravagant moments with God. And I'm telling you, when you can discern the hand of God in every moment and season of your life, watch out, Satan. Because it is not so much about discerning God's voice or hand in the big things that potentially could be easier at certain times. But what about those small moments? That everyone else is going, you think God is here? You think that's God providing direction to you? Discernment. Discernment makes you more sensitive to the presence of the Spirit in any situation and context. Discernment. Understanding. You understand God is here. You understand that He's present. And that's what I desire for you guys is to have discernment. Now, Monday, let me pull up my calendar so I can show you what I mean. See my calendar? 
you can't see it, bummer. Zoom in. Put it on a 70-inch screen. Go to your local movie theater and plug your phone in so you can show this to the world. This is my calendar. I will not be here the 27th. I'll be out of town. So next Monday, I'm out of town. Type that in the chat. Next Monday, Jason's out of town. The following Monday, on December 4th, however, we will continue with episode 6 of Hearing God, and we're going to tackle discerning the will of God in your life. When it comes to how do I know what he wants me to do, this is how we start the conversation, but it's not how we finish it. So be thinking through that. We'll talk about the will of God and discerning what he wants and how do I know when it's truly him? How do I know when, like, I want to know how to discern between God and my own ambition, my own assumptions. I want to know how to discern uh, between those things because um, so much of my life I can assume that my own personal ambition is actually God leading me, and it's not. There's a difference between, at times, your own personal ambition and preference and the actual will of God. Hey, thanks for listening to today's message. I need your help. Would you rate this podcast and give it an honest review to let others know what they can expect from this podcast? It would really help us in reaching more people with the truth of God's word. And be sure to check out AboveReproachMinistry.com for all of our free resources like trainings, Bible courses, worksheets, our online church, and much more. Thanks again for listening to this podcast and leaving a good review for others.